0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science. I'm comedian Akinoma Bitter. And I'm Professor Dan Cable, and
1: um, I find this to be a really interesting topic. Really interesting-looking orange to squeeze
0: today. Yeah, an orange the size of the moon. We're going to be discussing... That was disgusting, I'm sorry. No, but you've got to keep that. That's just, I think it's beautiful. It, it remains, yeah? Orange the size of the moon. We're going to be discussing NASA and leadership. Leadership in the sense of NASA had the objective of having a man, walk on the moon and and come back home to tell everyone about it. Sounds like something we've done now, but in the 1960s, it was Mission Impossible. <laughs> oh, we are cheesy today. This is um,
1: <laughs> Drew Carton is the author and the research scientist who did this, and um, it was published in a journal called the Administrative Science Quarterly. You probably have it sitting right next to your bed at home, I think, that journal?
0: No. <laughs> and uh, the title of it, I'm Not Mopping the Floors, I'm Putting a Man on the Moon. There you go. So, yeah, again, we're going to jump you into a conversation the two of us had after reading this study and trying to pull gems out of it. Very much hope you enjoy. I was going to introduce today's exciting
1: article and maybe we could even say a couple of words about what this exciting article um, means and does for us at a high level.
0: Yeah, so first off, shout out to uh, to Andrew Andrew Carton. Uh, so right. he's the uh, the uh, the author the leader of this study and it's titled How NASA Leaders Enhance the Meaningfulness of Work by Changing the Meaning of Work. And so that's uh, that's like a.
1: <laughs> I, Did you just I, say
0: meaning four times? I, that, I was just about to ask you, Dan, as someone who has published two books and has published several, why are all of your titles so long? You yeah, so have to make it sound
1: important. Don't you see? If it sounded obvious, they wouldn't pay us. Um, you know what? Uh, um, there's a, also one more bit of the title. If not, that wasn't long enough.
0: Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I tried to streamline you the title. You really broke it down to just the nugget. <laughs> the core.
1: Um, But there is this apocryphal story about Kennedy walking around NASA and late, late at night, he notices a light on and he follows that light and way down at the end of the hall, there's some guy mopping up the floor, you know, ten, eleven at night. And he says, you know, why are you working so late? Why are you mopping the floor so late? And he goes, sir, I'm not mopping the floor. I'm putting a man on the
0: moon. And when I first heard that quote and that story... I was a bit like that's a bit of a legend. That's like it's like a nice bit to put in a newspaper to kind of stir up a nation, make everyone feel like look at all of these amazing things that's happening with this space race. And now having read this this study, this paper, I I'm very confident that even if it wasn't that exact kind of sequencing or wording, that took place. That's right. I can after reading this, I can uh, Totally believe that someone who did work uh, as a as a janitor, as a custodian, as a secretary, uh, yeah, as a yeah, secretary, um, um, a lot of the positions that we would think were lower level positions, especially in an organisation like NASA, I can totally believe that someone laundry. one did say that, and two very much firmly held that belief. And also, if it's the president of the United States, you're not going to start moaning about your boss, are you? Yeah. <laughs> For a splinter, it's like I'm not even getting overtime. <laughs> <just> <laughs> Um so yeah so um so so Andrew uh, Andrew Carton with this study what he was setting out to do was using a very let's say extreme case in terms of the the space race landing uh landing on the moon and and getting yeah getting a man on the moon what he's trying to do with this extreme case is look at what it says about leadership so in terms of leadership one of the things that they expressed is that for for decades They've, they've researched uh, how employees think about work. And for most employees, the majority of people, what they want out of work is meaning. They want to feel that like what they're doing has some sort of purpose. And that importance of meaning, they rank it higher than job security, salary, um, career progression, so many different things. That idea of meaning is the greatest thing. So if we can understand how that meaning was created for NASA, there's lessons that can be taken from that for, for leaders of lots of other different organizations. Organizations, in terms of how you get an individual in a workplace to attach more of themselves and put more of their meaning and purpose into the organization's, right. uh, I guess, uh, objective. That's right. And um, that's right, bring more of themselves to the job. And I think that
1: this idea about wondering if your job matters is something we've all done and probably we're all doing right now in some ways. It's, it's this idea that I spent eight or ten hours doing a thing do I think that that thing matters? It's a really important question for so many of us. And um, as we start moving into the article itself, there's this great irony and maybe even a threat that that creates for leaders because now all of a sudden, maybe that's leaders' job to make employees feel that uh, producing cat food or making tires is deeply meaningful and that it's Touching that yearning that we all feel. And so then you have this problem for leaders where they might go overboard and they might start talking about these timeless, large scale contributions that their organization makes. Like the idea that uh, Lego, you know, it's not about little colorful building blocks, it's about Creating tomorrow's architects.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, By yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
1: Or like uh, Airbnb. It's not that we're renting rooms. We're creating communities and networks and other cultures. And it's sort of, they'll say those things and it'll be on a website or they'll say it in a speech. And then it often leaves the employees behind because it's so macro. Yes. It's so illuminating and so large scale that the
0: employee feels like, well, that's not what I do. I just kind of like make these widgets over here eight hours a day. Yep, and that's and that's fascinating as well for like for for several reasons because you can pe- people are very much aware of what is going on. So you can if you're if you are a, a leader within an organization, let's say you are the the CEO, and you're like, oh, I'm going to inspire. This organization by paying them a visit, making this passionate speech about where, uh, let's say, uh, Umbrella Corp Seventeen is going to be in the next five. I chose Umbrella Corp based on the I think it's the Resident Evil movie. I think that's, uh, I think that's Umbrella Corp. Uh, but um, but as as employees, where where and, and when I say we, this is me who has worked for several different companies we're not just uh, passively receptive to everything that's said to us. We analyze what it is and then we make value judgments based on that as well. So if you're telling me that the goal of Umbrella Corp is to make sure that 90% of people in the world have an Umbrella Corp umbrella within the next five years, but my job is just to chase unpaid like invoice. I'm a bit like, no, Mm -hmm. most of my day is spent responding to emails from people who are upset angry have complaints it's there's no connection there i can see through it and so as a leader what your what your objective is to do is convey the organization's objective so that at every level everyone feels like the small part that they contribute contributes towards that larger objective (laughs) and realistically as well and um i guess if we can kind of look at uh, how, uh, how how Andrew kind of went about this as well because his method was was taxing, so to say. That's right. That's so but, right. yeah, because of when this took place, so we're talking back in the 60s, the the data that he researched was one entirely qualitative. So it was all based on looking through, I guess like emails, documents, interviews, uh, speeches, he went through all of this. And from that was then able to then generate themes in terms of what the leaders were doing. So when we say the leaders, we're talking about as high up as the, the president of the United States at the time. And Kennedy was the, the guy who, who, kind of, who, who initiated a lot of what was going on in terms of the space race. And so you're also looking in terms of let's bring it down to like team leaders as well so he his method was to collect data based on that, and then through doing that, he was then able to find themes in the data That's as well
1: right. That's right. This approach of doing qualitative data and then doing archival data those were both like pretty important decisions that he made, and as you suggested, he buried himself he made a fortress out of these uh data, and so I thought maybe I would just read some of the historical cases and you know just to really try to help listeners understand how granular and how grounded this study would be. It's not, yes. for example, that he sent around a survey to a bunch of people and said, uh, here are some questions about space. Please answer them. <laughs> he did a qualitative analysis of uh, 60 documents, each were between 115, 300 pages long, that were released by NASA's Public Information Office in the 60s. And then they got archived and everything. And then those were new releases, those were transcripts of just dis- internal discussions, those were actual memos. And then there were a hundred online sources, and that included like onboarding information, web pages from the US public broadcasting system, employees commentary on scientific advances, five audio recordings of Kennedy himself. Um, And the whole way down to lower level NASA employees, four and a half hours of documentary footage, 95 published interviews, 800 pages in books. I mean, you could almost just imagine this processing. And when you use the word themes, that's exactly the right word because there's so much depth there that you have to start to call it. Yes. You have to start to kind of cut it back and say, when I cut this thing to the joints and I cut away the fat and I cut away the muscle... What's holding all this together? Yes. Did anything... You've probably not done qualitative research before,
0: per se. Gladly not. No. Yeah. <laughs> so my anything qualitative research is all just life experiences. <laughs> uh, Living. Your yeah. qualitative research. Yeah. <laughs> so according Did to friends... jump and-
1: out at you at that
0: process that you thought was either interesting or maybe you were cynical about or... I think one of the things that I that did jump out at me actually is so when you when you have something with a lot of these uh, uh, I guess uh, with a lot of these professors and I say that sat opposite a professor uh, a lot of professors have got a lot of opinions about how business actually works and in many cases that's without being a a boss a CEO uh, a line manager. But several opinions and theories. So there's always been a part of me that's like, can these professors kind of like call it a bit like, yo, relax here? It's a yeah, you got some nice opinions and they published some things, that's all good, but we actually do the job. And then I read this study and I was like, yo. <laughs> I'm giving every professor their props because <laughs> Years of work.
1: Like years Including of one work. trip to Texas, I believe. I think that's one document could only be looked at in
0: Texas and so went there person had to go there, there. And, and 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 this was not a vanity project as well he 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 was very good at self editing so he had two assistants who helped him to to analyze the data, and on top of that as well, when it got to certain points as well, I think he had about six additional professors who were there to, I guess you can say, like stress test. Yeah. So it's like, well, we've come up with this, but we need you to kind of scrutinize it right. because. So it was no, by no means a uh, a vanity project, and it, it kind of reminds me of those movies where something starts out as I can imagine him mm. kind of like pulling the thread. Mm. Of a of a maybe like a Christmas jumper or something, maybe and then before even you hearing
1: know it, about that story. Yeah, maybe even hearing about the mopping the floor story and being yep. like, you know, I wonder. Yes, did anyone say that? Let me go look at a couple <laughs> of these actual docket, and then finding himself immersed up to the ankle and saying, huh, you know, there's some interesting themes coming out. I think I'm going to make sure that this actually is grounded, and then being up to the knees and so on. Yeah, um, I think that uh, just a maybe give listeners a little bit more feedback on that, um, the team that he ended up with. Part of that stress testing is really to look at, if you go in a room and you read that document, and I go over here in this room and I read the same document, do we agree about what the fundamental points are? Do we agree yes. on what the themes are without talking about it first? And I think that that's an important part of that stress test.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, it's, definitely. It's like
1: the interpersonal reliability of, Of what it is that we just took away from that sentence that we just read.
0: Which shows a great deal of humility as well. It's it's very humble to acknowledge that my opinion, my perception is not king if if there's other people who agree with it fantastic if there's people who disagree with it even better because he did also mention this idea Mm -hmm. that when there were disagreements he wasn't like well this is my study my name's going to be on the paper why say goes conversations were had and it was thrashed out and it was thrashed out uh valuably so that we ended up getting some very interesting findings that's right yeah really fun uh, I
1: don't know if we want to sort of start jumping into the so what for leaders. In my mind, there's a so what for leaders here. You know, what's a leader to do? There's also a so what from an employee perspective. You know, how does this thing work? How does it? How does it get inside my head and my heart? And I think I want to go through both of those, but... If we start with the leader piece, uh, I have been interested in this conundrum for quite a while. One of the reasons why I found this article so satisfying is this this irony or this paradox that the very thing that many people believe makes meaning is when it's timeless and when it's larger than life. Like things aren't meaningful if, like, I make chips in a chip shop and so I dump the potatoes into the oil. Yep. Okay. The meaning is I, I, I move these potatoes into the oil. Okay. Then you go up a level and you say, but really I'm making people food. Okay. Then the chopping of the chips and putting the oil, it goes up a level into food. And then it's like, ah, but food is making people nourished. So really, even though what I'm doing with my body is dropping these pieces of potato into the oil, what I'm really doing is nourishing people.
0: Mm. And as
1: we move up that level, it moves away from behaviors, concrete, discrete, grounded behaviors, into something that's more timeless. What do people want? What do people need?
0: And, And this is why the messaging is so valuable. Because if I got a job working in a chip shop and my manager was like Akin... Before you even touch a spud, <laughs> I need you to know that you're not just chopping potatoes, you're nourishing humanity. humanity. I'll be like, "Yo man, <laughs> I'm going to go to the chip shop across the road and see if they're hiring because I'm not sure I'm down for all that. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility." Yeah. And I'm just looking for about 6 50 or 7 an hour. <laughs> yep. And that's that's the value of messaging. That's the value of messaging is because it's not just about what you want to say, it's about what do you want people to actually hear? And, and take from it as well. And, and that messaging can be done um, in, in several different ways. And, yep. as, and as we find in this study as well, it, it, that's, it's, it's done in, in a number of different ways as well.
1: I want to take your really fun reaction that you just had there and play with it in the context of the literature a little bit because I that's think... Let's fun packet. That's fun <laughs> pack this, baby. Let's get there. I find it uh, enormously interesting that when leaders do this inspiration bit... That is to say, talk about the global, timeless, large-scale meaning of the work and the contributions to creating networked communities and nourishing humanity. These really high-level lofty goals. There's an incredible irony because the very thing that makes it all lofty, a lot of times employees call bullshit on. Yes. They say, oh, I see you're just trying to trick me. Oh, I get it. You don't want to pay me as much. So you think that if you talk about these lofty ambitions – I'll buy into that. But when you look at my behaviors, I'm chopping up spuds and putting them in oil. Like, I hear what your words are, but I don't feel that. And I actually think this is what the article is about. Agreed. Ultimately, it's about overcoming this paradox that we all want to feel meaning, and the bosses all feel like they should be creating the meaning, but there's a miss in the middle. Yes. And it doesn't ladder. They're too lofty and we're too low level. And there has to be a way to forge meaning between those. And most leaders miss that. There's sort of a vision trap where they're so high and the employees are so low that it sounds a lot like bullshit in the middle. Yeah,
0: I think the key, the, the key word there may be inspiration because you don't wanna, you don't want to tell people how to feel like I can't tell you fall in love with me. I can't tell you put more into into your work. Like, you can say these things, but it's very different when you can inspire those things. So it's not what I've now been told to do. It's what I feel I want to do. And, that, and I feel like that level of inspiration there, that's where the difference is. Like, you can tell me, like, if you want to run a marathon, hey, every morning, get up at 6 a.m. and go run it. Like, I know that already. But what can you do to inspire me so that when my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. in the morning, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm tired. Maybe tomorrow, actually, I'm no longer interested in running a marathon. I'm actually thinking I want to do this for me. This has purpose and value, value for me. I can see how this connects to something that's bigger for me. Something meaningful. Something, something meaningful. that
1: draws me to it and that motivates me from within. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the secret here. And I think that even if we don't get all the answers, what this article did was take a really good run at how it might work. Because get this, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's the case that the lowly chip maker does feel a sense of bringing nourishment and culture to other people, but usually it doesn't. And I think that what the evidence might reveal is that it's the leaders in the organizations that can create that link-up that both makes the employees feel better about all day long. You know, the stuff that I matter, sure, you're going to pay me. But on top of that, I'm doing something valuable, meaningful, significant. And the employer, the organization, gets additional energy. When the going gets really tough, they're resilient. They push through the pain to produce something of value, something unique, something interesting. So that's why I guess I found this so satisfying is the the article which is about importance felt important to me. <laughs> it wasn't just another brick in the wall of science. It for me unpacked a concept that if we can get right is um, is a piece of value. Yes. It's like a little diamond, a little yeah. stone.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. And and the thing is like now that we say that, especially with all of this talk of uh, frying potatoes, I'm reminded I've worked in McDonald's for about it was about 2 years or so. How were you at I the I worked fries? In McDonald's. Were I, you any good at that? I was great at the fry station. I was great at the fry. You know what? Like working working in McDonald's is probably a great example because um when one of the things that they they look about or look about, one of the things that's mentioned in terms of uh, what makes it easier to inspire leadership. One of the things that makes it easier is when those who are doing the work can see the end products. So when you work in McDonald's, it's not like if you go to like a, if you go to like your local Chinese takeaway, usually there's like a front mm-hmm. where you order, but you never really see the kitchen. When you go to a McDonald's, you can see like, you see everyone who's at the till taking orders. You see everyone in the kitchen as well. And from the kitchen, you can also see everyone enjoying the, their McDonald's as or well. Not. Or not. Or not, which is sometimes the
1: case. And that's actually just, importantly, just as important because there's a sense in which, say you mess up the fries and you sort of leave them in too long. And then if you would see somebody take a bite and then kind of make a snarl and put it down and then ask for money back, you're, that is your impact. Yes. And when you see them smile like, oh, the perfect fry. I'm loving the it. The perfect chip. Notice I'm using my Americanisms. <laughs> yeah. But that idea of I'm loving it, <laughs> seeing that happen and being like, I had, a, I had a role in that. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the guy that dropped them into the oil. Yeah. But I think that you're right about that. And that sort of notion of being able to see the impact of what you do is very relevant to this article. Definitely. It's the idea that in this case, you might have admin people and engineers and you might have, um, You know, people who basically build circuits, but what they have to somehow see, even if it's in their mind, is that I'm putting somebody on the moon. And that's really tricky because unlike at McDonald's where you just look out a window and see them, there they (laughs) are. You don't, when you're designing a circuit or you're taking a message for your boss as an admin support, you're not literally seeing rocket going to the moon at that moment. And that's the tricky bit in a lot of organizations is you don't have the ability to look out your window and see it. You have to, as a leader, help them visualize it and connect it in a more abstract way. And so there are these four steps. um, that basically talk about the leader as an architect of meaning. Yes. And what I love about it, maybe we could even talk about what some of these actions are. It's basically like, how does a leader, in this case Kennedy, develop like a structural blueprint of connecting up um, at the high level,
0: exploring
1: oh. space. And, like, doing science, <laughs> you know, the sort of, like, government-y stuff that governments do. Yep. With the lowest level of, like, taking a message from my boss. Yes. Or, like, designing a circuit board. How, how does the leader create actions that cause that to feel more like the fry guy looking out the window and seeing them enjoying or hating on the chips that he just made.
0: Yeah. So, so to quote the author of the study uh, in terms of these, uh, these four findings, so they, they were titled as um, four leaders, sense giving actions. Uh, and to quote uh, the author in this context, I define sense giving as a discursive tactic, which leaders outline the relationships in which leaders outline the relationships between daily work and NASA's immediate Intermediate goals, objectives, and ultimate aspirations. So that's quite a, a, a bit of a dense thing. But one of the first steps. Wait, imagine this... reading forty-two pages. Yeah, of that. Oh gosh, yes, yeah. <laughs> because that's what we did <laughs> yeah, last night. I was night. dreaming. Uh, <laughs> I was dreaming in spaceships. Uh, so the first sense-giving action was that Kennedy reduced the number of NASA's ultimate aspirations to one. So previously, I believe it was three um and the the larger one was this idea of um exploring exploring space exploring right. which is so abstract it's, it's abstract to the point where Even if you're honoured to be working for NASA and you have, let's say, a a medium to high level role there, that objective is so abstract that it's near impossible to connect your day to day with exploring the galaxy. So what happened instead was it was narrowed down to just one. And this one was let's put a man on the moon. Yes.
1: And I want to talk about that just a little bit more if you're keen. I'm very keen. Yeah, yeah. I I like the idea of maybe giving listeners a little bit more meat here, like from a Kennedy perspective and from a government perspective. Let's say there's all this space stuff you're trying to do. Like one might be, (laughs) we're we're trying to achieve preeminence in space. Like that's the whole like own space, get there first. You know that whole thing. Another one might be this whole notion of advance science and learn more about our world. And one might be like. Space technology, like we want to become good at creating the technology that allows for space travel and space science and so on. And so this idea that you might have eight of those all lined up and you could talk about, here's all the things that we're doing in the pot and talk about all the ingredients. It's going to overwhelm people. So the first step that he did, because you kind of, in my opinion, jumped action one and two together. Now I could be wrong. So we'll, we'll play with that in a minute. Let's play with it. Yeah. Action one was that Kennedy reduced this three or four or six down to one, which was advanced science. And then action two, at least the way I read this was, he then shifted attention, not from this advanced science, which is still sounding pretty heady, and not even saying uh, explore the solar system, which is still pretty big. <laughs> Let's explore <laughs> it's the moon. Yeah. Let's just look at the moon. You know what? You can see the moon. <laughs> The solar system, well, you can't really see all that. But the moon, every night, most nights, you look up, there's the moon. It's concrete. It's visceral. It's something that for all of our histories and all of our ancestors, we could all look up and see the moon. There's this deep, Longing or urge to 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 get closer to the moon. The moon's in a lot of our stories and our fables as humans, and so I think that that's really interesting. Now, as far as the way I read it is, those are
0: sort of two different actions. They are indeed, and you are correct. I've uh, I've got a bit, I got a little head of myself in a good yeah, way. Yes, in a good way. You were All the <laughs> <laughs> It's palpable in this studio. I can assure you. <laughs> but it's it's very interesting as well that commentary on those first two points because. What 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 we find reading this study is that NASA was founded in 1958, and so it wasn't until Kennedy now took more of a leadership role in it that there was a significant change there. So everything that we're talking about now, they were all working on this. Absolutely. So because we're, we're talking about meaning, he didn't change the work change the meaning of the work. So they were doing a lot of this stuff anyway. They were trying to advance the technology. They were trying to explore outer space. They were trying to have a a positive impact on humanity through those findings. They were doing all of those things. The meaning comes uh, in line with that simplification of all of those things, and then also a concrete objective as well. So what happens is you find that in 1958, NASA is founded, and everyone's working away, but with no real... It's very. I'm, I know there's probably going to be a whole bunch of people who uh, like even know a lot about space <laughs> or NASA, and I'm going to be really insulting now, but with no real purpose. It's like everyone's doing their day to day, and it's maybe you could say um, a lower level and less combined purpose. I could say that, but I want to insult you. Okay, you want to actually? <laughs> Fine, do it. Do it. <laughs> so then, so then uh, Kennedy then steps in, and so we're now looking at let's say. So NASA founded in I'm really like drawing out this point, founded in 1958, and then just 11 years later, a man walks on the moon. It's, so it's incredible. Kennedy's involvement, we're talking about like eight and a half years. So there was some work done. It's not like he came... Because he and, came yeah. to an untimely end. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to mention that because yeah. Um, yeah. this this paper that we're looking at, it touches on two different conspiracy theories, the Kennedy assassination, uh, America being first on the moon, and then also the legend of the janitor. Who I mean, was it's like, just bringing I mean, a lot together. It, yeah, it's, it's, you I was, can I was, see why we would be so excited <laughs> to read <laughs> I'm drooling a little bit right now. <laughs> uh-huh. but, but in 11 years... Like 11 years. Yeah. And if if we can kind of bring that 11 years down to, to I guess, um, an, an individual personal level, a lot of time people can have individual goals, which just seem huge. They just seem insurmountable. But to think that this space program in 11 years was able to go from we're just trying to get, like, um, a rocket. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let's say we're trying to get it, like, 100 metres into the air. So 100 metres
1: up, 100 metres down.
0: 100 metres down. And can we just land it without it, like, yep. like falling into pieces and costing the government, like, millions of pounds? To then go to a point where not only are we able to get a, a, a rocket, like, off the off the planet, into space, we're then able to land it on the moon, have the men... Step out of that that vehicle if you can insult yeah. them further and call it a vehicle. <laughs> Glorified car. Yeah,
1: walk on s- the moon and then come back on home? the vehicle.
0: Like <laughs>
1: like <laughs> I mean you had me at
0: footstep. Yeah. You had me at footstep, but the ability to bring somebody back. Yo, I wanna yeah, come home. Yeah. I don't like <laughs> I don't wanna go on to the moon, yeah. walk on the moon and not come and Who it. am I gonna tell that <laughs> like <laughs> I'm only going to the moon so that I can tell people, hey, it's me, guys, from TV. I walked on you the moon. You never thought that like, I'd make it. Yeah. In
1: high school, they said I'd never do anything.
0: <laughs> I was cut from the football <laughs> team, the
1: basketball team. I wanted to mention um, some evidence. Oh, dear. One of the things that I love about these articles is...
0: Just a heads up as well, we are, we, are, we are having way too much fun. The time okay. is going to go off in about okay. three minutes. I okay. imagine we're just going to keep going from that.
1: Um, we'll, what we'll do is we'll start moving a little quicker. <laughs> but I did want to sort of um, put some evidence around one of the claims that you made because he, okay. Andrew does such a good job. What he does is he goes and gets a load of articles and a bunch of interviews at what people were saying about the moon and saying about the space travel before and after this yes. and before they're saying things like the moon, it's a long way off. <laughs> or they would say things like, I don't see us going to the moon anytime soon. That's 1958, 1959 by 61, 62. People are saying things like, it's so close. I can reach out and touch it. Employees, workers who are putting together, you know, again, circuit boards or they're mopping the floors. They're saying things like, Oh no, we'll be on the moon. And before the end of this decade, and somehow, through this visioneering, through this sense making, through this process that we're talking about, he was able to engage and inspire people that the moon is close and that we can do this. Now, one of the things we could do, in light of the fact that we only want to have so long of a show together, we could go to the next
0: two actions. I, I agree with that. Let's do that. We you do, yeah, let's do the next two actions. And who knows, maybe we come back for a part two. Wow. I, think, I feel like this, does, I'm, I'm enjoying this way too much. <laughs> I feel like a part two yes. would be a lot of fun as well. So yeah, so the third sense giving action. So Kennedy communicated milestones connecting employees' day-to-day work with the concrete objective. Milestones. So if we're... <clears throat> Excuse me. If we're looking at this idea of we're going to fly a rocket, a manned rocket to the moon, uh, they're going to get out, walk around, come back home. That's that's still huge. He's done a great job so far of bringing this thing, like scaling it yes, back a making bit, making it concrete, yep. making it focused. Yeah. But even still, with that everyone's like, yo, that's ambitious. So how do you turn something so ambitious into something that then begins to look realistic? Now, let's be, let's be reminded here that all of the elements, there's people working on all of the elements anyway. So you now put meaning on their job when you say what you're working on, you put a bit more into that. That's going to contribute to this big objective. So we're not asking you to do all of it. What we're saying is that the part that you're going to do That's going to have a big impact on all of it. So you start creating these milestones where the big goal itself is broken down into what are achievable. That's right. That's right. What's achievable, realistic, um, tangible? I feel like there's a real art to this
1: step. Maybe there's art to all of this, to be honest. But for me, the artistry of this step was really pronounced. And here's what I mean by that. If action two takes us to, we're going to land somebody on the moon before 1970. So that's time bound, it's concrete, it's specific. And now what you're talking about is this pathway, these rocks that I can step on to get there. This sort of, these milestones, as it were. You know that was Apollo by the late '60s, maybe that's '68. That's Gemini mid 1960s, and that's Mercury early 1960s. Those are essentially three definite, specific steps that we're going to have to take. One of them is basically, as you said, get a unmanned or womaned uh, rocket <laughs> up and down, yep. and then and then we're going to move to the point where we get somebody in it, but like we're going to try to land. Okay, we're just going to send it up, it's going to go around, it's going to come back down. Even yes. that's a big, big deal. Ooh, look at that. You were right. There's our timer.
0: Well, there's our timer. But yeah, let's um, I, yeah, let's, 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 let's at let's
1: least have a little bit more with we've, this. We've got
0: three and four. Nice. Yeah, let's, nice. yeah. We've got, we've got those
1: well in pocket. Yeah, <laughs> let's,
0: let's indulge ourselves. <laughs> Love
1: it. So I like this idea that, again, what a leader would have to do is have enough milestones that it seemed realistic, but not so many that it seemed kind of overwhelming not it has to be specific enough that we can all agree on them but not so specific that it 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 pushes certain jobs out they that is to say they have to be large enough that it encompasses everybody's work yes the person that designs the chip or the or the rocket fuselage and the engineer that behind the scenes is kind of doing the calculations and that idea of being large enough that it draws people in, but few enough that it doesn't overwhelm us. I think that's an art form.
0: It's definitely an art form. I feel like part of that art form is being connected to those who are doing the work. And what I mean by that is, so when we spoke, uh, when, we were, when we were chatting, uh, uh, I guess a few minutes ago, we talked about this idea of, if you just tell people certain things, what you're telling them could be so disconnected from mm-hmm. their perceptions mm-hmm. and their reality that even those milestones that you could create, they could just be off because everyone's like, well, what's that got to do mm-hmm. with this? Mm-hmm. And as someone who once again has worked for a number of companies in a number of different offices and who has been in the in the lunchrooms when all of these staff are uh, bitching and complaining about just this disconnected leadership and how they don't understand us It is you, you feel it as, as an employee, you feel it when your boss is able to tell you, I want you to do this. And for this reason, and even in just those two things, you're able to see how that relates to you, how that relates to your job, how that relates to the organization, mm-hmm. and how that relates to the organization's wider goals as well. And so it's not just a simple case of saying, what are 10 steps? Yeah. It's because like like you mentioned mm-hmm. as well, if you have too few steps, it's like, well, there's it's great. You have too many steps, it's overwhelming. But from company to company, from project to project, that that number of steps is gonna vary. That's right. So if you're okay. asking me to, to peel and chop potatoes and there's a hundred steps so that one person can get a bag of, of, of chips, of fries, I'm just going to feel a bit like, well, one, you're slowing down what could really be a quick, efficient process. And two, mm. you don't understand. Mm. Like you don't understand. Mm. You're a leader who sits at an ivory tower who has graced us with their presence yep. and has now made my yep. job and my day more difficult, or it's, it's maybe even detached yes. my With, purpose from
1: Without it. adding the meaning. Yes. You've added a number of steps and processes that seem useless to me, the one doing the work. Yep. And you've said a lot of graceful words that must make you feel nice. Yep. It hasn't helped me at all. At all. And I think that that's a really interesting and truthful way to look at the risks of this. It's almost like the risks of inspiration. Mm, Yeah. It sounds great to inspire somebody until you go ahead and try to do it. And then you see that you can just as soon make them feel manipulated as inspired. Yeah. Okay. Step four. (laughs) I want to say that this one confused me a little bit. I'm
0: so glad you said that because this was one of the ones that I, I read a few times. And then after reading it a few times, I extracted just one short sentence, which made it a lot easier for me to understand. I w- this will be nice. So, uh, the fourth sense giving action so it says, Kennedy used embodied concepts to affix NASA's ultimate aspiration to the concrete objective. I read that and I just heard words, words, yes. words. Baba. Kennedy, NASA, words, words, <laughs> words. And I was like, yo, <laughs> like. What I know know. (laughs) the the sentence that I pulled out is where it simply says Kennedy made the abstract and the concrete inextricably inextricably intertwined, which is to suggest that the abstract. So if we if we take this idea of space exploration, so the the purpose of NASA is to explore the solar system. That's um, that's quite that's quite abstract because what does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to the moon? Does that mean that we're gonna we're gonna go to you know the edge of the solar? Mm. Like what mm. does that really mm. mean? But then to then weave it in with the concrete, so the concrete would be yes, we're going to have a man walk the moon. So this idea between this uh, this idea of this fourth step is if you give people something that's that's abstract it's um it's it's like it's operating like it's serving a let's say like a godlike purpose or status because it's like it's it's hard to really touch grab and explain whereas if you're able to intertwine that with something that's concrete yeah. it then adds more meaning to it, you could say, or or more um, believability to it. Sure. Credibility. Credibility. I think that
1: another thing that he did in terms of developing these tight links between real life events and these abstract ideas is he used time scales a little bit. Meaning like earlier I mentioned, if you think about Mercury is we're just going to send up a rocket, that's the early 60s, and then Gemini's the mid 60s and Apollo's the late 60s. Not only are each of those discrete, concrete Happenings; those are events. Either you did or you didn't send a rocket up. Yep. Either it did or it didn't have a person on it. Right? Yep. But that one led to the other. That we need this one before we can get to that one, and to try to link those in as few steps as possible within time. Yep. I. That's what I end up taking away from Action Four. I wasn't a hundred percent sure I got it by the end. I did read it several times. Yeah. And maybe it's the case that if you. You know, you couldn't saddle poor Andrew Carton with this. But if another author, another scientist did this in another context, maybe the vibration between the two contexts would elucidate these ideas even more, even better. But in the context of this particular space, what I took away was not only this tight linkage between the real-life events and the abstract ideas, but I also took away the through-time nature that one— Depends on the other. Yes. So well that
0: well yeah, one depending on the other is great as well because these these four steps they are interlinked themselves. Yes. They're 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 interlinked, they're interwoven, and they need each other in order for any of them to work, which is quite metaphorical of this idea of leadership. Almost like a meta. It's a meta importance. Yeah. And again, this is why I found this so much fun to read because there was a lot of inside it that did operate on that meta level. That's right. Where it's, I'm now doing a study on leadership in order to de- complete that study, I need some help. So I'm going to have to lead those people. So it's like, yeah. there's just, there yeah. was a, there's a lot of like kind of really uh, ironic things that took place during this. And again, when I say this with all of this excitement, and this is me at the height of my imagination, <laughs> reading like really, uh, th- there are some really nice sentences in this, but most of it is very dry. It's dense. Very dense. It's, it's thought, very texty. Yeah, very, very thoughtful. So when I do talk about uh, <laughs> a lot of the irony or, or, or themes along those lines, it's very much my imagination. Yes. There's a of lot being of being John
1: Malkovich in here as yeah. well, where, <laughs> <laughs>
0: where you realize that
1: the thing you thought you were now in, you yes. have become. Yeah. I wanted to read one quote, and this might even be, be the last thing in- that I wanted to sort of add in. And this quote for me in some ways symbolized the value of the whole article. Okay. And it's not only the value to the leader, but also the value to the worker. So let me just give this. This is a secretary named L- Lola Parker, and this was a quote from her. And She said, I don't know of anybody who was just a clock puncher. No matter what role they played, that was in the back of their mind. We've got to get that man to get to the moon. And I find that to be really interesting for two reasons. Number one, what it does is it shows me that in this case, literally a secretary, somebody pretty far down in the organizational chart, has it on their mind that we got to do this thing and that that captured her imagination, that, that she wasn't just showing up to work and getting through the eight hours and then going home, that the work had this meaning that it had to sew up toward this goal that we all shared. And that that meaning is valuable in addition to money. It's, it's, it's a value in a way that's different from money, but it is a value to her. And you can see that and you can hear that. But it's also interesting for me to flip that and say, if you were a leader, why is it valuable to have a bunch of Lola Parkers running around? Why is it useful to not have clock punchers? And it's this idea of when you are working, you can work smart. Yes. You can work effectively. You can work toward a common goal. It's not just getting through the motions so that I can go home. It's doing the activities that at this moment best move us toward a man on the moon. Yes. And if you have not just Lola, but say 70,000 people who day in and day out are feverish, who are actually focused on that task. Yep. I think you slip through the water in a much faster way Definitely. than when you have 30, 40% of the people, they're just trying to get through the day. Yep. They just want a bit of money and they just want to go home. Yeah. And this idea about being present, about being mindful of why we're even here and caring about it, not caring about it because you get me some money, but caring about it as an outcome that is meaningful to me. Yeah. I think that for me, that sentence starts to show or, or sew up why this article about importance is so important
0: yeah and that sentence that you that you you analyzed there as well is what leads me to believe that kennedy definitely saw uh, a janitor working late asked him yo what's up my man and he was like it's all good don't worry about it prez i'm putting a man on the moon love it
1: So thank you, Drew Carton. If you think now there's all this Google stuff about, you know, moonshots, this was the original moonshot. A moonshot sounds, that sounds
0: like the kind of thing you get called into a police station for. (laughs) Goodness me, listeners! Thank you very much for tuning in. We, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks for your comments and feedback so far. Continue firing them away at us. Uh, Dan Cable is at Dan Cable One, and I'm Akinomobitan. I, I will put my, my my surname in there. Dan is is cracking away on the other side of the table, thinking about moonshots. So uh, hopefully, by the time you join us next week, he would have since calmed down. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>